This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is Finsider Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. And now, your host, Matthew Kanata, joined by co-hosts Josh Houts and Aaron Sutton. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Finsider Radio. This is Matt Kanata, joined by Aaron Sutton and Joshua Houts. The 5-5 five five Miami Dolphins headed to face the Indianapolis Colts at Lucas Oil Stadium on Sunday. The Colts holding a 5-5 five and five record. Both teams in a thick of the playoff race for the American Football Conference. Both of them are in the hunt with plenty of other teams crowded in that pack. The Miami Dolphins season essentially begins and it can end on Sunday as well. 425 Eastern Standard Time on CBS. Greg Gumbel with the play-by-play. Trent Green doing the color analysis, joined by Bruce Arians in the booth on the sideline, Melanie Collins. The Dolphins, again, 5-5 five and five in the hunt. Tiebreaker loss to the Bengals. If they lose on Sunday versus the Colts, they will lose that tiebreaker as well, which is why this game is so important, Sutton and Houts. Ryan Tannehill is coming back. Frank Gore is coming back to Indianapolis where he played for three seasons. Before we get into all of that, your preliminary thoughts as we head into Sunday, as we get ready for this edition of Finsider Radio. House, what do you got? Yeah, man, you touched it. We talked about that Cincinnati game earlier in the year being as key as it was down the stretch. And I mean, that game could come back to haunt the Dolphins. This is the same thing. If the Dolphins can't go out there and beat Indianapolis, uh, their playoff hopes are pretty much dead and the season's off or not, you hope Ryan Tannehill can come back and, you know, do things that we saw in 2016, things that we saw the first three weeks of the season. But right now, Indianapolis is one of the hottest teams in football, so it's not an easy task. And it's going to be interesting to see how this team comes out after the bye. Yeah, and you talk about shoulder injuries and you look at the way Andrew Luck's been playing football. You can only hope that Ryan Tannehill responds in the same way. We'll definitely see what happens on Sunday. One of the unheralded things that we may not get too much on this show, but one of the reasons that Indianapolis has been playing good football is because what they've been doing in the trenches, they've been doing a much better job than the typical Indianapolis team is at stopping the run. And they're also uh, doing well running the ball as well and and, in spurts. So it's going to be a tough game for us. They have great offensive line and they've been having timely defensive line play too. So it's going to be a, it's going to be a really big test for us on all fronts. And one guy hoping to make a difference on Sunday is Frank Gore. As I mentioned at the top of the show, Frank Gore playing for the Colts for three seasons back in 2015, 2016 and 2017 previously with the San Francisco 49ers from 2005 to 2014. And of course his first season with Miami was crowned the lead back heading into the Cincinnati Bengals game. It has not given up that role ever since so far on the season. He has accumulated 528 yards on the ground in the air, 80 yards, yards per attempt, rushing 4.5 compared to Kenyon Drake, which is a bit less. Kenyon Drake, we've all talked about this on our show and all throughout every other podcast on the internet for the Dolphins. Gore versus Drake, who's better? What are the Dolphins doing with that? But when you look at Frank Gore, 
He is just ageless. Just recently in week nine against the Jets, he moved into sixth place among the NFL's all-time scrimmage yards. He now has 18,306 scrimmage yards in his career. He trails LaDainian Tomlinson by 151 scrimmage yards for fifth place. God willing, Frank Gore stays healthy. He's going to get into fifth place before the end of this season. Against the Packers, he achieved another milestone, this one being an NFL record. He surpassed 500-plus rushing yards for the 14th consecutive season every season in his NFL career. He was previously tied with Hall of Fame running back Emmitt Smith and running back Walter Payton with 13 consecutive seasons of 500-plus rushing yards. He has played in 122 consecutive games, most by an active running back, but also the most by any active offensive skill player. Since 2015, he has 3,480 rushing yard, 481 rushing yards, fifth in the NFL in that span. The only ones above him, Todd Gurley, LaShawn McCoy, Ezekiel Elliott, and Melvin Gordon. Ironically enough, the one behind him in sixth place is Lamar Miller. Frank Gore. The Dolphins use him because he moves the chains. He keeps the offense on script and on schedule, as they like to say. You come in with the game plan. You come in with the offensive script. You want to get about four or five yards on first down, another few on second down. If you have to get the third down, you want it to be two or three yards, no more, no less. Or, yes, less, obviously. Uh, ideally, you don't want to get the third down, but Frank Gore keeps the Dolphins trending in the right direction. He's rated, I think, in the top five by pro football focus. I think maybe number two overall. You look at his pro football focus grades this season. His offensive overall grade is 84.2. His running grade is 81.6. His run blocking grade is 70.4 compared to Kenya Drake. Overall, 62.6. His running grade is 67.7. His run blocking grade, 56.6. So huge difference there. Frank Gore has played 128 snaps in 10 games. Again, averaging 4.5 yards per attempt. 17 first down, seven runs of 10 plus or more total yards on the ground to 528 once again. Houts Sutton, when you look at Frank Gore, when you look at the ageless wonder, Sutton, how do you think he fits into Miami's game plan as they head to Indianapolis on Sunday? In terms of the novelty playing against the Indianapolis Colts, you know, it's kind of cool that he's playing against a team that he used to play for, but for a player that's been in the league for 34 years like Frank Gore, he's probably played with every player in the NFL at some point during his career. So I think it's going to be kind of business as usual for him for the most part. And I think you're going to see him be the primary back like we've seen for the last, you know, six, seven games. So we're going to see him uh, hopefully establish a ground game for us because, you know, I mentioned in the opening of the show about the Colts improvements and their trench play, they've also been kind of inconsistent in their run defense. They've either been really good or they've been not so good. So I'm hoping this is one of those games where Gase, during the bye week, has figured out how we're going to be able to control the ball on the ground because I think Frank Gore is going to be a huge piece of this game because if you think about the fact that Ryan's handle is coming back from injury, and I know we'll get into this in a little bit, but I really think we're going to have to bring him along slow, guys. I think he's going to be rusty, and I think we're going to have to draw up some really, you know, th those play-action bootleg, tight end, out in the flat sort of four- or five-yard chunk plays, and then really getting the ground game involved. So I'm hoping Gase was able to identify something in the tape and be able to get the ground game going. And we've seen 
the distribution and carries and catches uh, between Gore and Drake. So you can only think that Gore is going to have a huge role in any Miami game plan on Sunday. Yeah, it's kind of funny because coming into this game, we were trying to say it was Frank Gore's, uh, you know, revenge game. And you look at when he played it with Indy, it was only three seasons. And I, I think we all kind of thought he was there a little longer than that. Spent 10 years with San Francisco. Like Sutton said, I mean, he's the ageless wonder, like you both said. I mean, this guy is the epitome of a consistent running back, and he's anything that, you know, one of these young running backs looking up to coming into the league, that's who they want to be. They want to be a Frank Gore. And as someone who sat there and complained about the touches that Kenyon Drake's been getting, you know, the snaps that he's been losing to Frank Gore, you kind of are starting to see why. I mean, Frank Gore just he goes out there and he's consistently running the football, getting those four or five yards, and that's what this Dolphins team needs, especially with. Ryan Tannehill coming back. I know Kenyon Drake was banged up throughout the week, so I do think that's going to play a factor in this. Frank Gore is definitely going to see uh, a bulk of the carries. And I do think if Miami has a chance to go into Indy and steal that victory in a meaningful AFC game that could have playoff implications at the end of the year, I think they have to rely on Frank Gore. I mean, he's an asset in the passing game. He's just as consistent running the football. And, I mean, he's going to be a huge part of the offense. So I think they're going to go out there and they're going to feed him early and often. And if they want to have success in this game, if they want to win this football game, it's going to rely on Frank Gore and that running a game. Speaking of comebacks, besides Frank Gore, another guy coming back to the field is Ryan Tannehill. And he has missed the past several games with a shoulder injury. And we said this on our show earlier this week. And if you have not listened to that episode, please do. So it's all about Ryan Tannehill and Adam Gase and their future in Miami. But Ryan Tannehill needs to come back this game. The Dolphins need him to come back. And he needs it for himself to come back because – These six games will define his career moving forward. Will he be the quarterback moving forward in Miami, or will he be a bridge quarterback for the rest of his career in the NFL? Because that's essentially what he most likely become if he comes back and the Dolphins don't do much. The good news is that the Dolphins are 12 and six in games that Ryan Tannehill has started in the Gates era from 2016 to present. In those 18 games, in half of them, the Dolphins have connected on a 50 plus yard pass in nine of them. He averages 7.66 yards per attempt and has a 93.4 quarterback rating in 18 starts under Adam Gase's 7.66 yards per attempt since 2016 is 10th in the NFL in that span with a minimum of 300 attempts. He has completed at least 70% of his passes in seven of his past 10 games, and he's posted a quarterback rating of 120 plus in five of his past nine games. In his career under Adam Gase, his first season, he had the best quarterback rating 93.5 in yards per attempt, 7.7 in his career. And his 93.5 passer rating in 2016, the first year under Gase, was the fourth best in team history and the highest since 2008. We saw last year Adam Gase was so excited for Ryan Tannehill, so said, told everyone he was going to be a monster that season, and unfortunately he tore his ACL in training camp. Gase, again, we're all excited for Ryan Tannehill to come back, and he struggled. Let's not, let's not sugarcoat things. It's easy to forget the struggles he had the first three weeks of the season. If it wasn't for Robert Wilson and Jakeem Grant making those huge splash plays, might be looking at a different narrative. But then we saw Brock Osweiler for several weeks, and we're like, we need Ryan Tannehill back. And indeed, the Dolphins will get him back. He was taken off the injury report on Friday, which means no soreness, which means he participated in 100% of the reps. Probably a light practice day, but nonetheless, still good news. When you look at Ryan Tannehill and the Colts defense and everything that they try to do to rattle quarterbacks, the Dolphins will be able to open up their offense a bit more with a mobile Ryan Tannehill. We all saw Brock Osweiler try to run, and it was not pretty. I think I could run faster than Brock. When you look at the Colts and when you look at Ryan Tannehill, if the Colts try to blitz Ryan Tannehill, 
they're going to do pretty well for themselves because Ryan Tannehill's overall PFF grade when blitzed is 26.4. His passing grade is 26.7. Likes to move out of the pocket at that point, 62.9 and 17.9 fumble rate and grade. Under no pressure, 75.5 total grade, 73.5 passing grade, 66.4 rushing grade, and a positive 85.4 for the fumble rate. So if the Colts want to rattle him, they're going to want to blitz him. But the Dolphins have a short offensive passing attack, and perhaps Ryan Tannehill sitting on the sideline once again allowed him to digest Adam Gase's offense more. But the big question is, Danny Amendola, the leading receiver for the Miami Dolphins this season, is questionable. Probably will play, but he is very important to this offense. So far, he has led the team in receptions with 47 and receiving yards of 456. He's on pace to lead his team in receptions for the first time since 2012 in St. Louis when he caught 63 passes. Basically, he's the new Jarvis Landry. When you look at Ryan Tannehill's passing chart, right? Pretty good. Intermediate. Obviously, behind a line of scrimmage, Dolphins like to run a lot of those screens with Albert Wilson and Jakeem Brand and so forth. They don't have either of them anymore. Up the middle, in the middle of the hashes, between the hashes up the middle, two out of six, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Outside left, deep, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Outside right, deep, no touchdowns, one interception. He has no interceptions or no touchdowns when it's 10-plus to 20-plus. He has two touchdowns, one interceptions when it's 0 to 10 yards. But outside left, 0 to 10 yards, 28.9 PFF grade, absolutely dreadful, 17.9 total grade. His highest PFF grade is uh, behind a line of scrimmage, unfortunately, in the middle. And that's, that's really due to those Albert Wilson screen passes he had against the Oakland Raiders. But after that, it's 0 to 10 plus yards right in the middle of the field, 118.4 PFF grade. After that, it's in the middle of the field, 10 to 20 yards, 115.6. So he likes to go in the middle of the field as well. How it's Sutton, when you look at Ryan Tannehill, we talked about his long-term future. But in terms of this game on, on Sunday against the Colts, do we see him making a big impact? Do we see him coming out firing on all cylinders? Houts, what do you say? Yeah, I say without question. I mean, we just suffered through Brock Osweiler. Sure, he had those first few games where he looked pretty decent, and uh, he could get the job done and do as little as asked upon him. But, I mean, now we're getting Ryan Tannehill back, and whether or not you think he's a franchise quarterback, the future in Miami, he's definitely an upgrade over Brock Osweiler. So I do see him having a significant impact in this game. I mean, his arm strength, his, his accuracy, everything he does – other than maybe, you know, the pocket presence and that stuff pre-snap is significantly better than what Brock Osweiler brings to the table. So I do think this offense is going to open up a bit. In my opinion, I, I know his shoulder is an issue, but his leg is not anymore. And I think the Dolphins should use some of that read-pass option, some of those uh, give him some opportunities to run the ball, move, get on the outside and throw on the run. I mean, that's kind of Ryan Tannehill's strong suit when he's outside the pocket, when he's rolling to his right, and he's making those – easy throws to his receivers. I mean, he, he's got the weapons. I think earlier in the week we touched on some of their weapons that they had, and I said it was depleted receiving core. It really isn't when you look at it. You're missing Albert Wilson. You're missing Jakeem Grant. But other than that, it looks like everyone's going to go. Devontae Parker, Danny Amendola. They got Bryce Butler now. Kenny Stills. Hopefully Mike Jasicki eventually steps up. Kenyon Drake's making an impact in the passing game. So he definitely has the same weapons. I think the biggest thing for me is how the offensive line comes out there. And, you know, is Jawan James going to go? It sounds like he might, but it still seems to be up in the air. It sounds like Larry Tunsil is going to go. It's a huge get for Miami. But that Indianapolis secondary, that defense overall is pretty good. So I think Ryan Tannehill needs to go out there. And you said it best. He, he's, suff he's 
he's a liability when he's under pressure. And that's something that you didn't really see in the past from him. I know his PFF grade and just overall statistically, he would succeed and, you know, make those hard throws when he had pressure in his face, but he's just not doing it much this season. And I don't know if some of that's because of the knee issues, because of those injury concerns, if it's all a mental thing. So you need to hope you can go out there and not crumble under pressure because the Dolphins need him to go out there and play a near perfect game to win this. And I think, I think he's going to have, a pretty big impact. I'm looking at something like, you know, two touchdowns, one interception and 250 yards. I think he can go out there and do enough to get this team to victory. He just has to play a damn near perfect game if he wants to do it. You know, I'm looking at the 21 personnel group as something that I think we're going to have to be able to utilize. So let me elaborate a little bit further. So the 21 personnel would be, you know, two running backs and one tight end. So I'm looking at having Gore and Drake on the field at the same time. Now, why would I do that? So you have Stills on one boundary and you have Parker on the other. Okay. So we have some deep play potential there. Now, Ryan's definitely going to have to make a play. He's going to have to make a throw. And if you're Indianapolis, wouldn't you come up and challenge us and make Ryan Sandhill throw deep ball? Not a rhetorical question. I want you guys to answer me. Isn't that what you would do as Indianapolis defense? Probably, yeah. Yeah, you want to test the shoulder. You want to test the rust, especially early in the game. So if I'm Indianapolis, I'm aggressive. Why wouldn't you be? And and you see what happens there. So what you do is you're going to get Drake, uh, who – in my opinion, is still a positional mismatch for me against a linebacker or a safety. That's why he's been targeted so heavily in the receiving game. So when you have Drake and a guy like Jasicki on the field at the same time, despite the fact we have not been able to get Jasicki involved in any consistent way, what they do is they offer information the way that you can put them in the formation or where you put them during the play. So what we're going to try to do is get those players matched up with certain defenders, whether that's Drake on a linebacker or Drake on a corner or possibly Jasicki splitting out wide and whether or not a linebacker goes out with him or whether a safety goes out with him. And so we're going to try to give Ryan Tannehill as much information before the play even starts. And I think that's one way to get a quarterback that's been out of the fold for what was it guys over a month. So we got to get him involved in a certain way where he gets comfortable with the game and the way we're going to be able to do that is to minimize the amount of information he has to dissect before the play. So this is all going to be on Gase and staff, okay? This is going to be all on Gase being able to draw up these types of plays for Ryan, especially early in the game, to put him in a chance where he can can find a little rhythm early because I, I really do think that we're going to have to stick with this Indianapolis offense in some way. I mean, I'm not suggesting that we need to score 35 points to win this game. We may actually have to, but, you know, we have to expect the defense to do a little bit. So we we can't, in my opinion, win a shootout here. But I, I think our offense, if we can respond, especially early, if Indianapolis gets the ball first and comes down and scores, our ability to respond, I think, is going to be a huge testament to how long we can stay in this game and I think Ryan Tannehill having those minimal uh, progressions earlier in the game make those easy throws get the ground game 
matriculated in there and have a balanced offense. I think that's our best recipe uh, to to stick with Indianapolis and escape Lucas Oil with a with a win. Turnovers notwithstanding, I mean Indianapolis has had more than its share of difficulties turning the ball over. And I know we'll get to that here in a little bit when we talk about Andrew Luck and that offense. But I think Ryan being able to, uh, you know, lead a balanced offense, is going to be huge. Yeah. Going to the other side of the field for the Colts and staying on the quarterback position, you got Andrew Luck and the dude missed the entire 2017 season with a shoulder injury has come back this year, has been on absolute fire. So first off, the Colts' offense has the lowest sacks allowed per pass attempt rate, 2.4% in the NFL this season. They've allowed only 10 sacks in 2018. That's the second fewest in the NFL. Only one ahead of them is New Orleans with nine. The offensive line, they've registered five consecutive games this season with zero sacks allowed. That's the longest active streak and tied for the third longest streak in the NFL since 1982. This season, they lead the NFL with the most games with zero sacks allowed with five. Their offense on third down, they've converted 71 of 136 third down pass attempts. That's 52.2%. Folks, that doesn't sound like a lot, but this is the highest third down conversion rate in the NFL this season. The 71 third down conversions are the most in the NFL. They're on fire. They have a great coach, offensive mind, Frank Reich. Great, great get for them. It's funny. Josh McDaniels was there, and then he walked away. And they get this guy, Frank, and... and he is doing wonders for this team. Andrew Luck has thrown three or more touchdown passes in seven consecutive games. That's the longest active streak in the NFL, the second longest in Colts history, and tied for the third longest in NFL history. One more, he'll tie Peyton Manning. Three more games, he'll tie Tom Brady for one. First place. Andrew Luck, one of four quarterbacks in the NFL history, to throw a touchdown to 12 or more different targets in a single season. That is this season. Crazy. He has thrown to 12 different targets. Matt Ryan leads with 13 targets. This is all touchdowns. Andrew Luck has thrown at least one touchdown pass in 33 consecutive games. Again, the longest active streak in the NFL. The eighth longest in NFL history. His streak ranks second in Colts team history. He's thrown 29 touchdowns this season, tied for the eighth most in NFL history through the first 11 weeks of a single season. His completion percentage, he's established five of the highest single game completion percentages of his career this year in 2018. He has also established four of the highest single game passer ratings of his career. I think you get the hint here. I think you get the point. Andrew Luck is a damn good football player. And he is playing at an elite level this season. And he is playing like the number one draft pick. And he is playing like he was all expected to when he entered the league. You look at his passing chart from Pro Football Focus, you see all green with the exception of 0 to 10 yards on the outside right. Other than that, his deep ball phenomenal outside right. And that's T.Y. Hilton, 96.9 grade. Across the board, 83.1, 87.8, 96.9. That's 20 plus yards. It's insane. If you try to blitz the guy, good luck. He has an overall grade of 93.2, a passer rating of 91.4, or a passing grade. If you don't blitz him, he's still pretty good. 80.7 offensive grade, 78.9. Here's how you beat him, though. You don't blitz, but you got to get pressure with your front four. 
You have to. And the Dolphins need to do this to win this game. Under pressure, he has an offensive grade of 61.2 and a passing grade of 59.3. The Dolphins can get pressure with their front four, which they haven't really shown the ability to do so this season. Then they're going to have a chance. Now, on the flip side, before we get to you, Sutton, and how it's the Dolphins' defense is among the NFL's best at forcing turnovers. They've ranked, and they are ranked in the NFL's top half of several statistical categories through the first half of the 2018 season. Second in interceptions with 15, second in interception percentage with 4.6% of passes, and tied for fifth in turnovers forced with 19. Only one who has more interceptions are the Chicago Bears. Their red zone defense, they've allowed points to be scored on just 74.3% of red zone possessions. That sounds like a lot, but it's actually the second best mark in the league. Five first turnovers in the red zone, which leads the NFL in that category. Fifth in the NFL by allowing touchdowns in just 60% of goal-to-goal series. You got Kiko Alonso playing at an all-pro level. You got Minka Fitzpatrick playing at a great level. The Dolphins need their defense to step up. Xavier Howard leads the NFL with seven interceptions in his past 15 games. So it's going to be a force with Andrew Luck coming forward against the Dolphins' defense, which has been steadily improving and which forces a lot of turnovers. So, And how do you see this shaking out, Andrew Luck versus the Dolphins' defense? I think this is absolutely one of those games where the defense is all about turnovers. It's not worried about how many yards that they give up because we're going to give up yards no matter what we do out there. And Matt Burke, I, you know, I just don't think he's a defensive coordinator that's going to come out and come up with some really exotic zone blitz sort of thing to fool Andrew Luck. Okay. Other NFL teams are not getting pressure on Andrew Luck because the offensive line has really improved for the Indianapolis Colts. And it's a recipe for disaster for us because we've already had our struggles getting to the quarterback. So how we get to him, that's a great question. I mean, luckily we have guys like Rashad Jones and TJ McDonald who are good blitzers from their safety position. So maybe we're able to uh, fool him in, in that way, but you'd like to be able to get that pressure with the front four. I'm just not sure that we're able to do that. And if we're not able to do that, Andrew Luck's sitting back picking us apart, that's going to be really bad. So, you know, we really have to make them one-dimensional so we can't both have Andrew Luck finding who he wants in the passing game and also giving up five and six yard chunks because then we are absolutely doomed. So we need to be able to, to limit the, the Marlon Max and the Naheem Hines. We have to be able to make them one dimensional and then we can really allow Cameron Wake and Robert Quinn to, you know, pin their ears back and, you know, Cam Wake for years has gotten so many sacks just with his ability to time the snap. So maybe you see some of that veteran come out and be able to make some timely plays and make a play on an offensive line that hasn't given up a sack in like five games. Do I have that right, guys? I think it's five games where Andrew Luck has not been sacked. Yep, five games. Yeah. So we we have definitely a tall task in front of us to be able to you know, collapse that pocket, make it uncomfortable for Andrew Luck. But I think that is our ticket to be able to get out of Lucas Oil with a, with a win because we're making Andrew Luck uncomfortable in some way where they're 
they're turning the ball over and we are capitalizing those into points. So this is going to be a very similar recipe for me as the game one win that we had against the Tennessee Titans staying right there in the AFC South where we were able to generate some turnovers and turn those turnovers into points. And that ended up being the difference in the game. Yeah, this is absolutely going to be a tough task. And I mean, it has the makeup of something that could end up being very ugly for the Dolphins. I mean, you guys both touched on it, the pass rush. At times this season, it was non-existent. As well as that offensive lines playing for Indianapolis, the key to this game is getting pressure on Andrew Luck from those front four. Uh, neither of you touched on the tight ends that the Colts have. I mean, they got Eric Ebron and Jack Doyle, and the Dolphins' defense has struggled with tight ends for what seems like all of our lives. So, I mean, that to me is the key matchup, and I think that's where they're going to go out there and just have their way with the Dolphins' defense. I mean, they got the receivers on the outside, the Chester Rogers, the T.Y. Hill, and the Ryan Grants, and then they got arguably the best quarterback in the NFL right now. Andrew Luck is playing out of his mind. He's just having his way with opposing defenses, and I it, it's going to be a tough task for the Dolphins. Thankfully, we have Minka Fitzpatrick. It seems like Bobby McCain's coming back. Xavier Howard is what he is. Hopefully, he shadows T.Y. Hilton. But for me, I mean, it's those tight ends. It's that great offensive line. It's that insane quarterback. And then the run game. I mean, you touched on it, Sutton, Naheem Hines. They got Jordan Wilkins. They got uh, Marlon Mack. I mean, they got a three-headed monster there. And the Dolphins are bottom three in the NFL at stopping the run. So they can beat us in so many different ways. And they have to get their, uh They have to be able to stop the run. They got to be able to get to the pass. The, they got to be able to get to Andrew Luck, and they just got to be able to go out there and and dominate this game because they're not going to be able to slow down that offense. They need to t- get turnovers, like both of you said, and and that's what's going to come down to. How can that Dolphins defense capitalize with those opportunities? You can't have the drop picks. You can't have those. You know the forced fumbles that they they're bouncing around and Indianapolis recovers. They need to get those plays. They got to go out there and make key plays and key situations. And that's, what's going to be the difference in this game. I just think it's going to be a very tough task. I don't trust Matt Burke one bit, given all the time he had it. If anything, they might come out and look worse, but I think Miami has to go out there and play a near perfect game against one of the best offenses in the NFL right now. And let me piggyback off that real quick penalties that's going to be huge for us and ryan coming back we're just hoping that the offensive timing is still there you know the the snaps are there and we're not having so many pre-snap penalties trying to get things organized so playing mistake-free football and then hopefully you know indianapolis is getting some calls against them you know hard to do while they're playing at their at their stadium but have to limit the penalties and the turnovers absolutely have to go our way as well It all sounds good on paper, and we have the paths to victory on paper. But one of the biggest things, and and a lot of people don't understand this and and don't realize this, but the Dolphins' home versus away have been day and night, Jekyll and Hyde, however you want to put it. Let's just run through a few stats here. They're passing splits. At home and away, 151 to 158, relatively even. Same with completion, same with percentage. But then it starts getting funky. Their yards per attempt at home, 8.8. Yards per attempt away, 6.1. Yards per game is even worse when you're passing. 250.6 at home, 164.8 away. Home, 11 touchdowns, passing touchdowns at home, only five away. Four interceptions at home, five interceptions away. That's pretty even. Your quarterback rating, though, at home is 108.8. Your quarterback rating away is 76.2. When you go to rushing, Basically, even for attempts, 120 versus 119. 
Yards per attempt home, 4.1. Yards per attempt away, 4.8. Pretty even. 98.6 yards per game at home, 113.2 away. So this makes sense, right? Because you want to keep the offensive team off the field when you're away. You want to keep the crowd out of it as much as you can. You want to control the clock and control the game and the tempo of it. So that all makes sense. The Dolphins are doing good in that category. When you look at receiving, 12.9 yards per reception at home, 10 at home. Three yards difference, that can be the difference between a first down and, and a fourth down. 11 touchdowns at home away, five as we just stated for the passing. Their defensive splits. At home, they have 10 sacks. Away, they have seven sacks. Interceptions. They have 10 at home, five away. When you're looking at, you know, tackles and, and fumbles, four force fumbles at home, four force fumbles away. So they're not that big of a difference. So it all comes down to the passing game, right? And this could be skewed a little bit because when you look at the Miami Dolphins schedule, they opened up the season at home against the Tennessee Titans with Ryan Tannehill. Then week two, they went and played the Jets away. Then Ryan Tannehill played the Raiders at home. But then from there, they went on the road to play the Patriots, to play the Bengals. Ryan Tannehill started both games, basically finished both games, finished the Bengals game. Came back home to play the Bears. That's when Brock Osweiler started, then the Lions, then on the road against the Texans, then a home against the Jets, then away against the Packers. So it could be skewed there with passing because rushing is pretty much even. But it's still a big difference when you look at the passing game. So we talked about Frank Gore at the beginning of the show, and we did that on purpose to kind of lead into this situation. And we talked about Ryan Tannehill to lead into this last conversation. It's ultimately up to the coaches to put these players in the best position to succeed. So when we're looking at the final game plan, we kind of laid it all out in the past few segments. Now let's put the pen to the paper. Let's make our final game plan. Your head coach, Adam Gase, your defensive coordinator, Matt Burke, your offensive coordinator, Dowell Loggins. Sutton, what are you doing to make this game successful, the Miami Dolphins give me three bullet points on offense, and then how it's, I'm going to ask you to give me three bullet points on defense, and that's how the Dolphins will win this game. Go ahead, Sutton. On offense, we are, if I'm Adam Gase, like I said earlier, we're getting in 21 personnel, and we're getting information from Ryan Tannehill before the play starts. So we're going to help him with his adjustment, not playing for four or five weeks, however long it's been. We're going to get him the information he needs to make some plays. So he's making easy progressions. He's making one read and then making it rip. So, you know, so we're going to, um, again, have Drake, Gore, and Jasicki in the game at the same time. Okay, that's, that's going to be bullet point number one for me is 21 personnel. Number two is... We are eliminating pre-snap penalties. We absolutely cannot overcome all the obstacles in this game and also shoot ourselves in the foot by committing false starts and having uh, poor exchanges between the center and quarterback because I can't imagine they've had that many. Uh, granted, they've had some in practice recently, but throughout the season, you know, it's all about, you know, being able to, cross something off in your mind and not even have to think about something. And, you know, Ryan Tannehill, Jake Brindle, they're still going to have to think about that exchange, I think. So uh, 
Two is absolutely eliminating these these pre-snap penalties. And then number three is going to be keeping the ground game involved at all times. And we've seen uh, opening scripts from Adam Gase that get away from the running game when it's initially successful. And you want to be able to get that ground game established and maintain it because you're going to be able to keep Andrew Luck and that potent offense off the field. You're going to be able to put our defense in a position where they can have longer time to figure out what they're going to do in their next stance. And uh, it's, it's just going to be good for interdependent football to be able, you know, to keep Andrew Luck off the field and give our offense a chance to establish time of possession and grind out a victory because I think that's our best way to win is going to be grinding it out. So on defense, in my opinion, I think you got to get to the quarterback. And I know we talked about the front four, so you got to have the Andre Branch, the Cameron Wakes, Akeem Spence, Devon Godshaw, Robert Quinn, Cameron Wake. You need those guys to rotate in now. You got to keep those guys fresh, and you got to find every way to get to the quarterback. Uh, whether that means you blitz a Bobby McCain, an Xavier Howard, a Minka Fitzpatrick, bring those linebackers down into the box to help stop the run. That's going to be the key for me. Getting to the, getting to Andrew Luck, forcing him to make mistakes, and dropping down the box. Whether it be with Rashad Jones, you know, T.J. McDonald, maybe have him roam around, have him drop down the box, and kind of add another linebacker presence up in that front seven. That's the way to stop the run. Uh, I said Eric Ebron. I said Jack Doyle. I mean, those are guys who can go out there and beat us. I don't want to see Kiko Alonso on him. I don't want to see Raquan McMillan on him. Let TJ McDonald or Rashad Jones cover the tight ends. Hope that they can st- stick to their man and and completely erase them from this game because that's how this game is going to be won. And then Minka Fitzpatrick, do not take him off the field. Please, God, do not take him off the field. If he's going to be on the boundary, let him play on the boundary. If he's going to f- cover T.Y. Hill and Ryan Grant, Chester Rogers, whoever it may be, move him around, have him play safety, do whatever it takes to get him on the field because he's probably your best playmaker in that secondary. And this offense that they're going against is one like they have yet to see this year, in my opinion. And right now they're playing the best football of their career, so or their best football of the season. So go out there, stop the run, get to the pass, get to the quarterback, and force Andrew Luck to make mistakes in the passing game. And that's how you can go out there and win this one. There you have it. Our path to victory for the Miami Dolphins. Adam Gase, if you're listening, if your game plan looks any different than what we just said, rip it up and get going on a new one. Just take our bullet points, put them into your script, and you will win the game. It's all easier said than done. If you took a look at Peter King's column football morning in America, I think that's what it's called now or whatever it is. He had a behind-the-scenes talk with Drew Brees and Sean Payton and some of the coaches. And it was just fascinating to see how they – picked out players to attack and how they worked on these things in practice for uh, many weeks and many days and for many reps. And some of it worked in the game and some of it failed tremendously. And that's what we see. We, we don't see how the sausage is made. We just see the final product. And sometimes things work out and sometimes they don't. And we're all scratching our heads, but we don't really know what's really going on behind the scenes. So yes, we can say here, we can say these are the paths to victory. But at the end of the day, the players need to execute as well. Dolphin season again begins on Sunday. As Adam Gay said, it's a six-game season from here on out. But if with a loss, it could very well end as well. We'll have your Colts recap after the game, most likely on Monday night or Tuesday morning. And then, of course, our preview against the Buffalo Bills later next week. But first, 
It's the Miami Dolphins versus Indianapolis Colts, 425 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Lucas Oil Stadium. For Aaron Sutton and Joshua Houts, I am Matt Kanata. Thank you for listening to Finsider Radio. We'll talk to you next week. That was Finsider Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, because we're the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Miami We're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Everybody, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.